Father in heaven, um, that we may have the visible role of teachers. We're asking for you to fulfill the promise that your spirit would lead us into all truth and have your spirit be our teacher and guide. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. Families of faith. The memory text comes from Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That word endure or endurance comes up twice there. What Christ endured, we also, in light of his endurance and pushing through, we have to endure some things as well. And the thing specifically that this week's lesson focused on, families enduring, is the onslaught of culture and the relationship that the family and the church family has in connection with culture. Right there in the Sabbath afternoon, when we find in the middle of that first paragraph, it says our parents, our children, our homes, our families, even our church are all impacted by the culture in which they exist and greatly too. Now, as we talked about this in our little pre-meeting, we talked about the connection of family and culture and the relationship of those two. What do we see when we look at the church or the local family as it relates to culture? Is Is the local church or the local nuclear family immune from culture just because we're in the church, or is still culture an issue that we face today? One of the things that we discussed was I asked each of us, you know, do you know what your house smells like? And we don't because we are accustomed to whatever aroma that might be, and Mark shared that his house may smell like a dog, because they have a dog there. But I imagine that there's, you know, my house may smell like garlic. I don't know. But you, you don't know what your house smells like either. You need, you need an outsider to come in to tell you, hey, your house smells like Febreze or whatever. Um, we, culture is like that. We, we, we're not, we have a difficult time identifying my own culture, what my culture is. And we can maybe discern with greater ease other people's cultures. We can discern other people, all oh, that belongs to this person or that person, that, that group. But we are not very good at identifying our own culture. Okay. So there's kind of a, a, an assumption in your statement there that everyone has some cultural background. It's not like some people are cultured and other people don't have culture. We all come from, are made part of something, right? Absolutely. And even when we think about the word culture, I think all too often we, we narrow it down to um, a specific ethnic group. But I share that me and my husband, we may come from the same cultural background, but we don't have the same cultural. He grew up in a different home than I did. The way we deal with conflict was different than the way they dealt with conflict. The way that they dealt with discipline was different than the way that we dealt with discipline. So culture is a very broad aspect mm-hmm. to talk about. And so oftentimes we'll seem, t- you know, you're, you're right, you think of an ethnic culture, you yeah. think of a nationality, oh, you're from this country, from that country, or mm-hmm. from this time. But there's also a church culture versus what we would just deem the world, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Now, is it, the, is it the right place for the church or church families to look at the other world culture and say, like, that is over there, that is bad, and everything we have here is good, or what sh- how should we relate to culture? Let's talk about that for a little bit. Well, if you look at the picture, last night I was looking at this as I was, you know, studying. The picture in, the, in your lesson, there's a little graphic above Sabbath. And I never noticed that there's a house that is separated from the rest of the houses. And I think that it goes to illustrate something that may visually try to convey to us the, the, the answer of are we affected, are we not? 
the, the house is in the neighborhood, but it's detached from the other houses. Do you see that? So for me, that's a visual illustration of a Christian home. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And that's the tension point. Okay. Because we all, when we say, you know, we come out of Babylon, I have two daughters. Are they born in Canaan? Mm. Or will they also have to be born or come out of their Babylon? Because I appreciated mm. that appeal. You know, am I, how do I know that I'm not in Babylon just because I am here on this, on this day? Right? Because people that came to church on this day also crucified Jesus 2,000 years ago. So what, what is the culture that we're speaking of that we ought not to be? And what is the culture that we ought to belong to or aim to, towards uh, in the direction? Okay, so culture is not inherently good or inherently bad. And it's good to have connection in a society that we're a part of, but we need to be careful that we don't just say, oh, it's part of my culture, and that's good, or it's yeah. all part of my culture, and that's bad. We have to be discerning when it comes to matters of culture. Personal culture does not mean take uh, hands off. Don't, don't talk to me about that. It's my culture. I believe that the lesson in the discussion we had is all of us need to take the advice of Jesus in which he said, um, is there something in your eye? Uh, don't become such an expert in other people's eyes, but rather become an expert in your own eye because there may be a plank sticking out out of yours. I mean, the brother said, I didn't know I was in darkness. I grew up in the Adventist church, but it wasn't until I accepted Christ, I was in darkness too. And so what is it to be in darkness? How can you be in this kind of milieu and still be in darkness just because we are part of this Adventist um, church physically, this institution, does not mean you and I may not be in darkness. There's something deeper that has to take place. And maybe even if we're in the church or even have a relationship with Christ as we're growing, there are still some things in us that need to be removed that we might That's have right. come from, from our own home, or our own ethnic, or our own national, whatever the culture is, our modern technological society, that are not compatible with the Word of God. And there still needs to be continued growth to develop a society mindset based on heaven's principles and not earthly principles. Amen. Amen. Yes. So let's take a look at that. Acts chapter 10. Mm. The question was asked in Sunday's lesson, what can we learn here about our need to overcome our own barriers and prejudice when dealing with other cultures? Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 10. And we're not, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but Mark, can you give us a little summary of what, what story is contained in Acts chapter 10? Well, in Acts chapter 10, you have the, the um, call of Peter to the house of Cornelius, in essence, to minister to a Gentile family that prior to that point, to him, was just something he shouldn't do, intermingle with the class of people that Cornelius' household represented. And to put a little context in this, if you recall, the day of Pentecost happened back in Acts chapter 2. Peter had been reinstituted in the ministry by Jesus himself, yes. you know, at the, if you love me, feed my sheep, the whole thing. He was a new man. He stood up boldly for the truth in Acts chapter 2. But even by Acts chapter 10, when the same Jesus said, all right, now go to the household of Cornelius, he said, not solo, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> he had to work out something that culturally he's brought up with, that there was that Jew and Gentile distinction that needed to be maintained in order to, to continue to be a good Christian in good standing, right? He, could not, he couldn't resolve this in his mind a little bit. It was a challenge for him. It was a challenge, and I think that the beauty of this, the beauty of this story, um, which I personally can identify with, I'm going to throw myself under the bus, okay, mm. um, that we all have, and in the lesson it talked about um, barriers and prejudice, right? 
And some of those are passed down to us from generation to generation, and some of those we pick up along the way. But God came face to face, as it were, with Peter, and he confronted him with something that in and of himself was um, a construct for himself. Um, I think later on in the story, it talked about how Peter had added to what God had given him, because we are supposed to be a peculiar people, right? Mm -hmm. We are supposed to be separate. We are supposed to be different. But Peter added other things. The Jews had added other things onto that story that God had not given them. And so, therefore, they distorted that, and they made it more of a prejudice, which made them go like this to the very people that God had given them the mission to go and share the gospel with. Mm. God has said, you will be a light to the nations, and they became a dark wall. Yes. Mm. And that had been done through um, culture. You know, the, the, the story of Acts in that series of passages, it finishes with 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, which is what Sunday's lesson is, you know, entitled, Hold Fast to What is Good. But I read the context of it last night, and the context of it is, is do not despise prophecies or the prophetic gift. Um, study everything but hold fast to what is good. And the context is being guided by a vision that surpasses our vision. Um, in the Old Testament, the prophets were called seers. And, you know, that's a challenge with culture. We usually like what we see. Our sister said Babylon is pretty, right? Remember that? Babylon is beautiful. And some cultures have some things that may be attractive visually, but God's eyes, who he reveals through his prophets, can give us insights as to what parts of culture ought to be accepted and what parts of culture ought to be removed or rejected. We don't have that kind of eyesight. I, don't, yeah. I cannot trust myself to say I, this part of Argentinian culture is kosher. Um, maybe it's not. And I need to be as, uh, more, more inclined to say, um, yes, I was born in Argentina, and now I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen, but my citizenship is in heaven, so I have to aim higher. And I cannot justify Christian behaviors or habits simply because of my earthly cultures. I have to be continually shed those things off of me and continually go through the prophetic eyes of God. And in Corinthians, Paul says that the gift of prophecy reveals to each of us our thoughts and motives. And a lot of times, we kind of canopy behaviors that are treasure to us, our idols, and we excuse them on the basis of culture. Well, it's my culture. I eat this, or we do this, or we do that because of culture. Well, I need to be careful that I'm not justifying something that is an idol because of culture. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting in the story of Peter and Cornelius is obviously Peter had some deep-seated cultural barriers that the Lord was trying to work out of him. Absolutely. But oftentimes we tell that story and say, look, Peter was just, you know, had this, you know, he was a bigot and he had a down look prejudice and looking down on these other people and the Lord had to wipe that out of him and, and we almost make it like everything in the Gentile culture was just hunky-dory and it was just the Jews. Pro but there were some serious issues in the Gentile world that needed to be addressed too. Yes. So Peter had to overcome some of his issues and there needed to be some overcoming on the other side as well. So the Cornelius. Exactly. So you look at, for instance, in Acts chapter 15, they didn't just say, all right, now... All Gentiles, come on in, no problem. No, they said there are still some necessary things. You need to stop that idolatry. You need to stop that immorality. I don't care if it was your culture. I don't care if it's your religious upbringing. It's wrong according to the word of God. And so both sides had to reevaluate their approach to each other based on that higher standard of the word of God. And we need to think about that as we deal with cultural things. Just because it's culture doesn't mean it's good, nor does it mean it's bad, but we have to test all things according to the standard of Scripture. Yeah, I, I keep, I'm thinking about this whole thing, and, and the thing that, of course, we talk about the Gentile culture, but the, the Peter's culture that drew him to do what he did was a religious culture. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
And I think it's important for us to realize that there are things that we might have in our Christian culture that aren't Christian. Amen. Um, that we do, but we wouldn't find a basis in the Word of God. Even more important, I think, our culture, we could grow up in an Adventist culture. We could do all the right things. We go to church on the right day. We can do all kinds of biblical things that our life could be perfectly in harmony outwardly with the Word of God, and yet we don't have a clue why we believe what we believe. Yeah. We don't yeah. know where to go in Scripture. We don't know how to substantiate it. And we're on, sh we're on shifting sand because if culture changes, then we're going to change with it because we didn't know not to. Mm -hmm. You know, I was sharing so, with you guys last night how in college, uh, in nursing school, I became good friends with a gentleman that was a Jew. And I thought, hey, we got something in common here, Sabbath. And I began to talk to him as if I was talking to an Adventist. <laughs> and he tells me, well, I'm an atheist. And that threw a big monkey wrench in my head. How could you be a Jew and an atheist? But he said, I'm a cultural Jew. And we may have some cultural Adventists that advocate something that is actually false, a shell void of the substance of what Adventism truly is. Well, we talked about this a little bit last night. I remember my family left the church. We were out of church for a long time, and uh, I remember that there were things I wouldn't do. I mean, I, we, I was drinking alcohol, but I wouldn't eat pork. You know, what? <laughs> what is that about? And, and Cameron and I ran into a young guy, maybe here today, who he, uh, came into the church. He was in prison. He read a great controversy. He learned about the Sabbath from the lady who sold him marijuana because she wouldn't sell it to him on the Sabbath. Well. And I said, it's got to be cultural Adventist who's backslidden. Amen. I mean, I grew up in the church, and I can remember you don't watch television on the Sabbath because if you watch your favorite sports team play and you're breaking the Sabbath by watching them play, they're going to lose because God is going to get you back. So I, it sounds <laughs> Jinx silly. Jinx your team but the, with the Sabbath. Exactly. But to go back to your point about Adventist culture, one of the great concerns that I have Growing up in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, because yeah. I mean, my culture—you're like 16th generation, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, the, but, yeah, and seriously, uh, we were on an uh, executive committee somewhere, and we were trying to take—they uh, had to do a cultural sensitivity training, and part of that you had to do a little self-reflection about your own cultural upbringing, and of course, it asked for your age, and that was just a drop-down screen. And as I get older, I had to go all the way down to get there, and I got there, and they had gender, and praise the Lord, they're only the two options. That's good. But then when it got to ethnicity, it was blank, and it just fit, fit, and I didn't know what it was asking. Like, is it saying, are you white, or are you an American? What is ethnicity? And so I had to kind of Google ethnicity. What, what society are you a part of? What culture do you most resonate with? And I realized more than any language or color or, or even nationality, the culture that I identify with most in all the world is the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I literally, on the forum, put I'm an Adventist American. <laughs> and because I've been around in different places in the world, and there can be different food, there can be different dress, there can be different, all kinds of cultural traditions. But if we share that three angels' messages and, you know, those kind of rich, that's a, that's a family that I'm a part of more than any other earthly family. And, and I thought, oh, they're good, that's safety. But if all I know about Seventh-day Adventism is the cultural elements the camp meeting routine, the church school program, the Sabbath school schedule, the, the nomenclature, the haystacks and the veggie meats. <laughs> Friends, I can tell you that many, many of the people who were in the church I grew up in were cultural Adventists, went to the classrooms that I sat through, are no longer in the church, but they're culturally 
They still have, they know when the sun goes down, they have still have that same reflex. They, can, they know how to make a haystack just right. But are they connected personally to Jesus Christ? I think that's a tension it's, point, right? Oh, go ahead, Tammy. No, it, I was going to say, and we talked about this last night, that um, some years ago when my older two children were younger, my husband, we were have, having family worship. And so he said to my son and my daughter, you know that you're not Christians, right? Mm. And they were devastated. Like, they did not understand what just happened. Like, did daddy just, did our family just completely walk away from God? Like, what's going on? And what he had to explain to them was that you have been raised in a Christian home. Your mother and father are Christians, and we are raising you in a Christian context, but you have not yet chosen to follow Christ yourselves. So you two are not Christians. And it took a minute for that to sink into their minds, but they eventually got it. They eventually understood that they could not ride our coattails. Mm -hmm. Because you can learn behaviors. You can learn and imitate outward behaviors, Mm -hmm. but you cannot imitate a conversion. Absolutely. That that cannot be produced humanly. John chapter 1 says Mm -hmm. that, that we are not born out of flesh or the will of man or out of blood, blood. but of God. And you cannot be, I mean, the lesson goes into this first generation faith. There are no grandkids in in God's eyesight. There are only children. You must be Mm -hmm. born again. Yeah, one of the things we talked about, it was interesting to me in Scripture, the uh, lesson brought up the story of Abraham. And, you know, of course, you had the call of Abraham, and then when God came to Isaac and called Isaac, he introduced himself as the God of Abraham. He said, I am the God of Abraham. He wasn't the God of Isaac until Isaac chose him. In fact, he said, Abraham, your father, obeyed my voice. So, you know, he was saying to to Isaac, in essence, you could choose me too. And then when you come to the children of Isaac, both children of Isaac did not make a decision to follow Christ. And when, when God came to Jacob, he said, I am the God of your father, Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. Now it was Jacob's turn. And it's interesting to me that Jacob had that experience where he had the dream with a ladder and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because he said, surely God is in this place. And when years later God called him back home, he said, Jacob, I am the God of Bethel. So now he points to Jacob's personal experience. That's what made him a Christian. And of course, you come to the Exodus when God comes to Moses and he said, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But he didn't start that way. They had to make personal choices. Absolutely. And in Jesus' own, in John chapter 8, there's an encounter that Jesus had with the Jewish leaders, and they prided themselves on their Jewish identity, their Mm -hmm. cultural upbringing, their genetic, biological descendancy, right? And Jesus said this, and you can find this in John chapter 8, starting with verse 37. Jesus said to those people, he said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, because they were trying to make their claim of, of superiority based on their biological and spiritual heritage. He says, I know that you are Abraham's children, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. Hmm. Hmm. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's father, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You know, anything that's, like, if you become a cultural Adventist, this is the destiny that the Bible reveals to us. Eventually, we will uh, eventually get to the point as cultural Adventists of saying we have no king but Caesar. Mm. Because that's what eventually these religious leaders are. Right now, they're being very convicting. You know, Mm. like, we have Abraham. Abraham, God is our father. But when it came to choosing Jesus or Barabbas, they chose Barabbas and Caesar. They sold out in the very values they espoused when when push comes to shove. Because it was just, they had not that direct connection with God. It was only a a facade, and it was shattered. It hadn't been a personal choice. You you know, in Genesis chapter 12, when the call of Abraham comes out, last night I was reading this. 
and the New American Version says in Genesis 12:1, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth or get out from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And in the Hebrew, the margin says, the literal expression from God when he says go forth is go for yourself. Mm. You yourself have to make this choice. Don't do what your daddy does. Don't do what your grandpa did. Don't stay in the same country. Don't say, stay in the same clan. I'm calling you to a different culture. It mm. wasn't just a land, but God was trying to shed Abraham's, because they were idol worshipers. We know that from Scripture. So in order for God to teach him a different culture, God had to remo remove him from the culture he was in. Right. And for me personally, you know, I grew up in an Adventist culture that God had to remove me from the culture that we watch all sorts of garbage until the sun goes, goes down, and then we turn it off, and then we turn it back on once the sun goes down Sabbath morning, Sabbath evening. And garbage, I thought, is something that you don't do on Sabbath. But the reality is, is that garbage is something Christians don't do seven day of the weeks, what worship on Sabbath. But we don't allow garbage just because the sun has gone down. In that cultural Adventism, God had to remove me from that so that I could smell my house for the first time and be like, ew, this stinks here. I don't like trash. God loves holiness and righteousness, and that's a culture that is different, that we cannot manufacture humanly. I was just thinking about what, that, what you said, you know, don't do after your fathers. And when Stephen was before the Sanhedrin, what, did, what was his message to them? As your fathers did, so yeah. do you. And I read there's a fascinating uh, passage in the book Great Controversy where Ellen White says that one of the chief reasons that Christ sent his apostles back to the Jewish nation for that final three and a half years of the prophecy was to give the children a chance to make the decisions their parents never did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Every generation has an opportunity to choose Christ, but it's a personal choice. Wow, what an incredible thought. Now, we hear a lot about celebrating culture these days, mm -hmm. and obviously we, we can in, enjoy personal preferences and you know, things we remember from our upbringing, but biblically speaking, we should not just blindly celebrate whatever culture we're part of. Part of being a Bible-based Christian is challenging that culture according to the higher standard of God's Word. You know, kind of like what Ariel was talking about, like, oh, I grew up in a home where our Sabbath keeping was like this, so that makes, ever notice that you, everybody else, you grew up, what you grew up with was normal. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else was a little bit crazy, crazy. <laughs> one way or the other. You meet other people like, oh my goodness, they do that, they are liberal. Mm. Or those other people, oh, those are some trail mix eating mm. conservatives over there, you know. But what we do at home, I just happen to be born in where everything is exactly We're right. We're balanced. It's so balanced. We need to have that humility and honesty with God's word to say, you know, maybe what I currently practice or I've been brought up in is not according to God's standard. And I think learning also the difference between preference and principle. Mm. I think that is very important. And I think mm. that we toggle between both lines and all people do it, you know. And, um, and I, try to I try to teach my children that you have to be able to use the word of God to be able to determine. There are many of us who have preferences, but we try to hide them under principle, yeah. right? And vice versa, so there is a difference. That's a great in point. some ways then, as parents of children, which the family is the focus of this lesson, maybe my goal now, as I see your Tammy is, I, maybe I shouldn't want my girls to live up to what I've lived. Maybe I would, I would need to rejoice if my girls could say, we did these things in my house, but now I've learned that 
we were supposed to be here. And rather than feel shame, think, praise the Lord, because this is part of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation is not over yet. It hasn't ended with us. It is still moving forward. You know, on Tuesday, the, the disciples of quarterly called it sustaining families through seasons of change. But after our discussion last night, I've changed it to encouraging families to have seasons of change. Mm, amen. Maybe we ought not get comfortable, like you amen. said, and say, well, they over there have to change. But maybe all of us could go home, myself included, and, and with my wife, ask ourselves, are we the normal? Or are there things that we ought to change? And where do we go, right, to see what things in our house need to be continually be revised and brought to the Word of God for examination. You know, Mark and I get to travel around and do trainings for local church families because church families develop their own culture too. This is how we do it here, and this is what it's like in this church family, and it's mm-hmm. cute and it's quaint, and some of those things are co- totally fine. But it's very difficult to be introspective and say, like, are we doing this because it's the best thing for the mission? Are we doing this because it's the right thing to do or the most effective and soul-winning, or is it just because we always do it? And Mrs. White talks about we need to break up or disturb the monotony of our religious routine, that it would be good for us to challenge our personal or our nuclear family or even our church family uh, cultures based on that word of God and the insight from the spirit of prophecy. That's hard. Yeah, it's a big challenge. Because I tell you, church families have a hard, well, we've always done it this way. I mean, that lady, right, our sister, our new sister Jane, she busted up a whole bunch of those things. But our sacred cows, we are way more careful in slaughtering our sacred cows than we think we are. I heard her testimony, I'm like, Lord, give me a heart like that, that I'm willing to right now chop stuff up. Because right now I can tell that there are things that I, but not this one. Yeah, we, we, we always talk about revival and reformation. We're always big in the revival part, but that reformation is the hard yeah. part, right? Now, we, we only have a few minutes left, and I really want to get to this because well, one of the things... Oh, go ahead, Mark. I, I was just, you, you mentioned, I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at the examples, uh, especially of Esther and then Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, and, and I'm thinking of Joseph, too, where you read that Joseph's conversion was largely due to that experience of him being taken yeah. into slavery. And sometimes it's those crises. You said Reformation is hard. You ever notice that Reformation is easy when, for example, if the doctor tells you you got cancer, guess what? Reformation suddenly becomes very Carrots easy. Carrots looked life. yummy. Things that you've been wanting to cut out of your life forever, all of a sudden, right? So the hardships, although God wants to give us blessings, sometimes they're a blessing in disguise in those hardships. Yeah, so maybe that's his way maybe of catalyst. trying to help us refocus on that reformation that's so desperately needed. Yes, ma'am. And I'm glad you brought it up because that was actually one of the most impactful things to um, the stories that they brought up of these individuals. I think we have movied the Bible so much and glamorized, you know, these parts mm. that we don't realize that these were real people who went through real experiences. Again, I reflect on the beautiful testimony of our sister. And one of the things, if you notice, that she said at the end I need a new family. Yes. And she's reaching out her hand, and she's coming as she is. And sometimes um, we can be very, I'm just going to be honest, sometimes we can be so culturally Adventist that we don't understand that people are coming from someplace and they still have, they need time to grow Amen. and to mature. And so we have to be willing to take back our barriers. I always say this, all relationships, every last relationship on planet Earth requires boundaries. No functional relationship can have, be functional without boundaries, but barriers are different. And so we have to be willing to look at our barriers and, and, and understand that we need to surrender those to God, work within God's boundaries of protection, but allow those who are coming out of whatever they're coming out of, um, they, they're not going to look like us. They're going to be people who are tatted up, people who may smell like certain things, who may look like certain things. We have to understand that we're living in a time where we have to be prepared for that. 
and allow them give to come, time. give people time to grow and transition from the culture that they're coming from, not to our culture, but to Christ. Amen. You know, when I, when I study with people that are just coming into the church, and I, I'm, opening, I'm becoming a vulnerable with you as a pastor, mm. um, I struggle sometimes because I begin to teach them things from the Bible, and I see how willingly and ready these people are to shed these things and embrace the truth, but then I have to explain to them, listen, you're joining a church that is not perfect. Amen. And so you may see some of the things that you've seen in the Bible, but you won't see necessarily it on the saints. Well, tell the truth. And so for me, is every church needs to guard themselves that we don't become stumbling blocks because new, new members expect everybody to, like he said, you know, all of you guys know your Bible so well. <laughs> well, he would have said that to me 15 years ago, you know, and you said, Ariel, tell us about the three angels' message. I would have been like the message to the shepherds, the message to the uh, wise men, <laughs> the well, I what is another, third angel in there. I didn't know anything because I was cultural. So many new people that are coming into the church assume that everybody is just as on fire, just as committed, just as willing to break down the idols, and we're not. Yeah. And for us as, as Adventists, these people will tell you what your church smells like most um, effectively. Amen. Listen to them. Well, that's a scathing rebuke. Thank you, brother. <laughs> But it's true. It's true. It's in love. In love. And in Jesus loves you kind of way, of yes. course. Now, I want to, I wanna, something that jumped out of the lesson, I don't want to leave without getting mm. this point, because I noticed that throughout the lesson, we talk about culture as though it is an imposition mm. or it is a pressure being put on. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. We talk about the Hollywood culture and the social media culture and the digital age and all the you know, negative influences that are out there and the negative news cycles that are bombarding us. All that. And we almost get the picture that we just have to hunker down mm. and hang on and pray our way through, like the, you know, the, the memory verse, the endurance, right? <laughs> But Mrs. White gives us this fascinating counsel. I want to read it to you. This is from Adventist Home, page 15. Because oftentimes we'll hear things like, oh, society does this. And so Listen to what she says about society. She says, society is composed of families and is, that is, society is what the heads of families make it. Amen. She continues, out of the heart are the issues of life and the heart of the community, of the church, and of the nation is the household. The well-being of society, the success of the church, the prosperity of the nation depend upon home influences. The elevation or deterioration of the future of society will be determined by the manners and morals of the young growing up around us. Sometimes we, we sit in a posture in regards to society and the culture around us as though we are hapless passive victims who just have to hold on and hopefully not get contaminated. When the reality, God has put us as Bible-believing Christians in this world not to just react to, but by God's grace, help influence and shape the culture for a better society. Amen. That we should not always be on the defensive, but friends, we have a responsibility to be on the offensive and changing the culture to make it more in line with Christ through our own household influence. Yeah, that makes me... I'm sorry, no, Timmy, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I, I've always felt this to the core, that our churches are only as strong as the families that are mm. in it. And I hate to say it, but our families are being attacked left and right. I'm talking about in the church. It's so easy to look outside the church, but in the church, um, Satan is ravaging our families. Yes. And it is, it's heartbreaking. Mm. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, I was thinking about the, pa in, in 
terms of the church being on the offensive, there's that passage where Jesus tells his disciples that, uh, uh, that um, tells Peter, on this rock I'll build my church mm. and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For the longest time I had, I had heard that for some reason as you're, you're huddled within these gates, like you're saying there, you know, and, and thinking that the, the, the powers of hell are coming in at you. But it's not the gates of the church, it's the gates of hell. Mm. And it's hell that's huddled down from the attacks of the church, and Jesus is saying, gates of hell are not going to prevail. You're going to break down the gates. You're going to go in. You're going to influence. And I was thinking about that in the ministry of Christ. Christ did not withdraw himself from society, and he was an influencer, not an influencee. Amen. And, and he will empower us as individuals and as families yes. to be influencers in this world. So the culture of Christ that is cultivated in the home shouldn't just stay in the home. In fact, if we're living as Enoch lived, as a minister and a witness, as Jesus lived in the world, then we should have the privilege of being an influencer of the society around us. And according to Sister White, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to help shape future society by our current upbringing and standards in the home. I think that we're reaping the benefits now, and it's not a benefit, it's actually a shame. Um, the Western culture is very much to itself. We don't want people to come into our homes. We don't want people to come anywhere around us. We'll go to church and see you on Sabbath. And then after that, I don't want to see space. you. It is. It's my space. This is, I don't want you there. And I think this, this uh, I don't want to call it millennial culture, they're starving for what does a father look like? True what does a mother look like? What does a family look like? When we worked on a university campus, it, it just broke my heart how many young people didn't have that. They didn't have, they didn't know what a family looked like. And so now, more than ever, they need for us to open up to show them not just, you know, how to eat and how to dress, but how to deal with conflict. How do you resolve an issue or do you just get divorced? Because that's an issue for them now, mm. you know? So we, that is definitely something that we're faced with in this, you know, in this time. If Cameron, you mentioned about the endurance part of the memory text. Yes. But they left out the other part that I believe links up to the 21st century runners where it says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Mm -hmm. there's, there's an example that we have a reference to. Yes. And it, it answered a question that I had, you know, because sometimes you get camps wanting us to divide, and this idea of either or, I struggle with as well. So I wrote in my, my lesson, we need to be a, a biblically driven culture, right? We have a culture that is biblically driven, and immediately I thought, well, when you drive, you're always looking forward. You mm -hmm. don't drive looking back. But that's not true. Not when you're traveling in a caravan. Not when you're traveling with other cars. When my wife and I first got married, we were traveling together. I left her behind, I don't know how many blocks. <laughs> and then I was pulled over by her, and she called me, and she gave me a good sermon that, you know, led me to deeper conversion. <laughs> and I learned how to travel better in caravans because I'm like, the destination. And I forgot about the people that I'm leading behind that need me because I know the way. And so I thought about this idea of being a biblically, a culture, an Adventist culture that is biblically driven. We can't just forget about the future, what's ahead of us and only look at the back, but we can't ignore what's back there as we move forward. It's not either or. We need to look at our heritage. We need to look at our DNA all the way back to the apostles, that great cloud from way back then. That will help us have a reference point of what to be today because we are also that cloud, and we also have an influence, and we would, like it or not, we are leaving a legacy for the yes. next generation. Amen. Absolutely. So, and looking at this lesson this week, obviously culture is a ubiquitous influence in all of our lives. We have to deal with it. We're born into it. We are confronted with it all the time. But 
the biblical position is not to just hug her down and be safe from it and insulate from it. What we need to do is reflect on our own culture and say, Lord, where am I in my life? Am I doing things just because this is what I feel like doing? Or it's mm-hmm. my preference or what I've always done. What does your word say to shape me? And then through my influence, help my family to have that influence and like Abraham, command his household after him. And by God's grace, those households can be an influence in the broader society that we can help be the light of the world, the salt of the earth that Jesus has called us to be. That we're not going to be the sport of circumstance, but Mm. we can help set the destiny of other people's lives. And as you've seen witness to, when we have the opportunity to influence others, God's Holy Spirit will be in our camp. He will be in our side. And we have the great privilege of influencing the culture for the better and leading people to Jesus and his scripture for the standard for their lives. What a powerful reminder we've had today. We are out of time. I'd love to go deeper into this, but we have to close down. But let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of the church family that we get to be part of. We're so thankful that we can be part of the family of faith. But Lord, help us not to just passively be carried about by the culture of the church or even our own homes, our own personal preferences. Lord, let each of us experience the revival and reformation that you want to give us through a deeper application of the truth of your word. And Lord, beyond our own personal life, let our families and church families not just respond to, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to shape the societies we're in. Help us to be an influence for good, a higher culture reflecting the society of heaven. Lord, help us to ever have that goal in mind and bring others with us as you give us opportunity. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.